You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Wednesday the 27th of April. I enjoyed day one of the Punchestown Festival very much as I look out across a beautiful county Kildare this morning in brilliant sunshine. I look forward with uh, some significant excitement today too because today's running of the Gold Cup is one of the best that we can remember, more of which in a few moments time. We'll also be looking ahead to the Guineas during the course of the next half an hour, 40 minutes or so, and Ascot season, which begins today, plus all sorts of other bits and pieces. Uh, first installment of our series at Watership Down, profiling their golden goose, Dar Ray Me, in the company of those closest to her. And Pam Sly will be remembering Speciosa's great victory in the 2006 1000 Guineas. Jane Mangan is with me. She will be uh, not too far away from me, broadcasting for RTE at Punchestown this afternoon. And whatever happens for the rest of the week, honeysuckle included, Jane, I think we are in for a treat. But let's reflect, first of all, on day one, where with seven winners between Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott, it was also predictable, except it wasn't quite. Yes, we did expect day one of Punchestown to be dominated, but perhaps more so by Willie Mullins. The title of your podcast yesterday was Mullins versus Mullins versus Mullins. Well, Gordon Elliott had his say with four winners on the eight race card, starting with Davy Russell recording his 150th winner at Punchestown on Party Central. Mighty Potter upset the odds in the novices' hurdle. Sir Garhard did not quite get home, but he didn't stop quite as fast as Dicer Dynamo, who was revealed after that he suffered from a defibrillating heart. Patrick Mullins eased him out of contention, but Mighty Potter made amends for his Cheltenham run and he bounced back at 20-1. to 1. Did not see Felix Deji going in the handicap hurdle, but we did anticipate an argument in the champion chase. Patrick Mullins went slow on Shaq and Persuas, something that really raised a few eyebrows because Shaq and Persuas has been known to burn off his rivals in the first mile, but he changed tactics, went slow, it didn't matter, and Ergamine was far superior on the day. Absolute notions won the Land Rover bumper for good connections, small owners who didn't sell their horse for 60 grand. Something tells me they'll sell him for a lot more now. Capadano, if you had listened to Willie Mullins throughout the day, he was very confident a change of tactics would work for the Oracle, and it sure did. So three winners for Mullins, four for Gordon Elliott, on an eight-race card. Elliott was pumped up. And with no prompting, made reference to the rebuilding process following his, his suspension. And that, that clearly is, is still very much at the forefront of his mind, if not anybody else's. Yes, and he did also reference that Jack Kennedy is now world-class. We've always thought Jack Kennedy to be a most gifted rider, but after the tactics he deployed on Mighty Potter, how tight he rode against Paul Townend, that really got the blood pumping for Gordon Elliott and he was so proud of his rider on that occasion. So, yes, Gordon has, you know, really young horses coming through. He probably lacks a big star since the defection of a likes of an Apple's Jade. But today he's got a big one rolling, throwing the dice at Galvin in the Gold Cup. And let's see if it lands. Yeah, a couple of interesting points just before we get into that Gold Cup from the Mullins team. Patrick Mullins uh, just said, tip of the hat, um, the baton has been passed to an Ergumen 
Um, no excuses with Shaq and Passoir as far as he was concerned. Uh, and Willie Mullins saying that he felt that Capadano, uh, who won the big novice chase yesterday, where Bob Ollinger again was lamentable, really bad again, um, that Capadano could be a Gold Cup horse for next year, Jane. Yeah, interesting notion. Uh, beginning with Shaq and Persuade, now an 11-year-old. We forget that he was in Willie Mullins' yard for three years before he ever ran. So his mileage clock is not very high. And I think next year they will have to try two and a half miles because they're going to have to try and avoid their stable mate. So Shaq and Persuade up and trip would be interesting. Capadano, prospect of a Gold Cup caliber horse. He'd have to improve an awful lot. But if Willie Mullins suggests he might do that, that was interesting, but he jumped a lot, an awful lot better yesterday with positive tactics, having been quite lacklustre over his fences at Cheltenham. Um, but yeah, Bob Ollinger just reminded me a lot of Envoyolin last year. Envoyolin obviously fell at Cheltenham, came to Punchestown. It looked like it was the big match on between himself and Monkfish, uh, only for him to pull up. And Bob Ollinger never looked comfortable yesterday. There's obviously a big problem going on. Uh, I hope they get it sorted, but to be honest, the uphill battle for him for next year looks so steep. It was a question during the season whether they'd revert to hurdles, but now it doesn't seem like you'd be winning anything with him. No, no, there's clearly a major problem that needs to be sorted out. The only question Willie Mullins was reluctant to answer yesterday was that if all went well with Alaho today and he beat a crop of Gold Cup-type horses, whether he would be aimed at the Cheltenham Gold Cup next year to take on the same owner but a different trainer's reigning champion at Plutar. That was one that Willie was inclined to duck for the time being, though I might get a second crack, second bite at the cherry this afternoon. Something tells me you're going to try anyway, but <laughs> it'll be a fascinating renewal of the race. Paul Townend has abandoned her album photo to ride Alho, and it's completely understandable. He's been phenomenal this season over two and a half, but look at the twice he's tried three miles. He was beaten by Manila Indo and Champ in that slog of an RSA chase as a novice. And then, do you remember at Leopardstown when... Darrow O'Keefe was tracking Alaho only to realise he was tracking the wrong horse and he possibly left it a little bit late, but Plutar had the class to win that Savile's chase anyway. That's the last time Alaho ran over this trip. Maybe he didn't turn up, but I suppose there's never a better chance for Alaho to get the trip when he's in such good form. But last year's reigning hero, Clanda Zabo, often underestimated when he comes here. Manila Indo, for me, when he kicked off the home bend and stole two lengths, looked like he might win back-to-back Cheltenham Gold Cups. Galvin didn't turn up at Cheltenham. He's much better than that. We saw that in the Savile's chase. We saw that when he nabbed Aplutar on the line back in December. So this is a very deep race and uh, one that should be the headline act for the, for the week. And that Labrooks Punchdown Gold Cup takes place at 5.55 this afternoon, Wednesday afternoon. And what a cracking race it is. One of the jumps races of the season. Right in the dying stages of the month of April means it's the first fixture of the year at Ascot on the flat and our thoughts very much turn to the Royal Meeting and today has significant what you might call trials for Royal Ascot, a very good two-year-old conditions race where Eve Johnson Horton has the favourite. She won a Royal Ascot two-year-old race last year. We've got the Sagara, which is a natural stepping stone to the Gold Cup and the Pavilion Stakes, which is the sort of first step on the road, if you like, to the Commonwealth Cup, which is one of the newest high-level, elite-level Group 1 races at Ascot three-year-old sprinters and of course our thoughts always turn to the likely international contingent that might come to Royal Ascot it's starting to look exciting this year and it's starting to look spicier because we're welcoming horses from more than just North America the Australians are back in play again Nick Smith is the director of racing and public affairs at uh, Royal Ascot has been responsible for broadening the international net he's with me now 
we we don't like to get ahead of ourselves, but this is looking quite good at the moment. Yeah, very good at this stage, Nick. You're absolutely right. I mean, until they turn up on the day, you're always slightly anxious with these um, these big names travelling from overseas. But right now, it couldn't be happier, really. I mean, Nature Strip and uh, Home Affairs for Chris Waller, uh, they they are, uh, they and Golden Power from America are the top three sprinters in the world at the moment. Um, and to have them clash uh, uh, as a proper international heavyweight clash, if you like, at Royal Ascot would be would be a really fascinating way to open the meeting. Uh, and Home Affairs and Golden Pal, they are both in Coolmore ownership, or Coolmore have significant interest in, in both horses. Sort of a measure, really, of the way that they put now Royal Ascot so much front and centre as regards their whole sort of enterprise, their whole global enterprise. Yeah, that's a really interesting dynamic, Nick, of course. And whether, whether they let them clash or not, we don't know. More likely, probably Golden Pal on the Tuesday and perhaps Home Affairs on the, on the Saturday and the Platinum Jubilee. But yeah, it is fascinating. I mean, the, the, the whole global entity of Coolmore. Uh, looking at you know the best way they can campaign those horses, not just in the countries that they're that, that they're resident in, but also um, around the world. And we know that the, the whole Cornwall team from you know from from Australia and what have you always come over to to well, when they can uh, always come over to Royal Ascot, and and, and this is going to add a, 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 a much more significant dimension to that. Nature Strip and Home Affairs are really interesting because you sense that this European venture is an itch that Chris Waller, the man most famous for Winks and very elegant, is an is an itch that Waller wants and sort of needs to scratch, but it hasn't really quite happened through his, his illustrious career to date. And some quite interesting news, not only about those sprinters today, but also about Very Elegant, who was going to come to the Ark. Waller said she won't, she'll stay at home. But if she does come to Europe and he still quite fancies it, she might come to Ascot at the end of the year for Champions Day for the Kipco Phillies and Mayors. I've got to say, I didn't see that curveball coming, Nick. I certainly didn't see that curveball coming at all. No, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see what what happens and what develops there. Uh, I mean, she's got a three race program in the um, in, in in the uh, autumn uh, of the uh, of the, sorry the spring of the Australian season to, to look at um, with a potential trip to, to Champions Day at the end of that which would be fascinating for everybody I mean Chris you're right about Chris probably wanted to scratch the itch he, he had Brazen Bow uh, a few years back with um, uh, uh, in the in the, what was then the Diamond Jubilee Stakes and that was narrowly beaten by undrafted from the States so you know there's going to be another American laying in wait this time but there's no doubt about it he's, he's wanted to, to have, a, have a runner here he's always said he wants to send a best horses for obvious reasons and not not be too speculative in in, in, in who he sends obviously the, the winks uh, uh conundrum uh was on was in play for a couple of years and, and very nearly happened but uh i think you know obviously sprinters are what australians are, are known for uh and they're almost playing a home game on on, on the straight track you know because that's that's they, they operate there on a very similar conditions in flemington Obviously, Royal Ascot will forever owe Wesley Ward a great debt for his internationalisation of the race meeting, and, and so will all of us who are involved in transmitting the, the meeting into the United States of America. But would you agree with me that when we saw a, a mayor like Teppin win the Queen Anne, and I'm thinking this year of, of Pizza Bianca coming over potentially for the coronation stakes for Bobby Flay and Christophe Clemor, you get a middle-distance American coming over and being competitive, then you really start to, to truly internationalise. Hundred percent. I mean, I mean, the Teppin moment was—I always say—was probably the, the the biggest uh, international success at Royal Ascot to date. Simply in terms of uh, pl- completely playing away from home, a straight track was completely alien to Teppin. 
the Queen Anne was, you know, that is what we are known for in Europe. Marley's middle distance horses, and they were playing, they were they were playing a you know a, a, a risky set of cards, if you like. But you know, there, there is an entry for the Queen Anne this year from America. There's a couple of entries for the St James's Palace Stakes and the um, Coronation Stakes, uh, and also, of course, the Commonwealth Cup, which you know, which really appeals to the Americans. I mean, they, they don't really have races at Group One level for, for these elite sprinters there. So, so the door is rather open for Americans to come over here. And of course, the other dynamic this year, which is, which is crucial, is the return of the Japanese. Yeah, and the Japanese who've been dominating Breeders' Cup, Saudi Cup, Dubai World Cup. Uh, they've got runner in the Kentucky Derby. He's got half a chance, Crown Pride, um, and involvement at Asuka, potentially. That's right. So, yeah, Sharia, who's the uh, the top rated of the Japanese horses to have uh, been around the world and, and, and winning this year, obviously, in Dubai, uh, and Grenadier Guards, who's a fascinating potential sprinter option for them. Well, he's I mean, an intended runner. So uh, so getting them over back to Royal Ascot would, would be fantastic. We've never had a Japanese winner at Royal Ascot. Japanese winners in Europe are actually pretty rare, um, aside from perhaps a prep race here or there, and, and that fantastic win for Deirdre a few years ago at Glorious Goodwood. But, you know, it would be absolutely absolutely marvellous to see uh, see the Japanese continue that um that that sort of rise if you like in profile I think we've just been you know, sort of standing back in admiration of the way that they train their horses and what have you I mean, just a, a little anecdote on that you know the stabling of these two horses I mean they don't just take it on trust I mean uh, Adrian Beaumont at the IRB has been going around with a video camera uh, filming all of the options for them uh, 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 you know how long does it take to get to the gallops one of the sizes of the stables etc 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 and that's the level of detail that goes into the planning for, for, for those kind of operations Northern Farm and what have you. Nick Smith there uh, from Ascot. And to be honest, Jane, when he starts talking about Japanese, American, Australian uh, horses all coming to the Royal Meeting, you just think they've got a hell of a lot right. Um, I know we say that British racing can only rest on its laurels for so long, given poor prize money and so on and so forth. But to see horses of this caliber all meeting at such a fantastic venue, it, it really does quicken the pulse. Yeah, it's it's an assembly point, and if you can crack Ascot, that's the one that everyone around the world knows. Uh, so for Nature Strip, Golden Pal, Home Affairs, Art, Artorias, there's so many names that we as European fans want to see, and to say that they're coming to the backyard in, in, in Ascot is, is surely going to draw masses of crowds, masses of audience from all around the world, and it'll be will be huge for British racing and I hope uh, they all do eventually come because Ascot, it, like a lot of people say, it, it rests on its, uh, on its prestige, on its legendary name. They have a legendary name for a good reason and it's because it attracts people like this, it attracts competition like this and it is, yeah, like you say, we've got the Guineas this weekend, looking forward to a, a, an extravaganza at Ascot. It'll be really the world's best racing. Yeah, it is a, a small world, an increasingly small world. And uh, in racing terms, we are, we are very grateful for that. In terms of this afternoon, I mentioned there with Nick the Pavilion Stakes, the Commonwealth Cup trial, um, and the, the, the Cigarro Stakes, the features, a good two-year-old race as well. Any particular horse you are especially looking forward to seeing? The Cigarro Stakes for me, the race of the day at Ascot. Um, I wasn't impressed with Wordsworth at all for his comeback run um, when he beat Sunchart at Gorn in a race that really the conditions suited him. Sunchart is well beaten since at Navin, um, but you can't get away from his runs last year. Second hurricane in at Longchamp, third hurricane in in the Irish Derby, second to Camari at Royal Ascot. The, the group one form is solid, but I think the ground is going to be 
suitable for him. It's not going to suit Princess Zoe. She went on quick ground in Riyadh, but she missed an engagement recently because the ground was too quick in the vintage crop. Neaf Road is probably the most solid horse in there because you're thinking it might be a little bit quick for Quickthorn. So Neaf Road is probably the most stable horse in here. I think Wordsworth needs to improve an awful lot on what I saw in Gorn if he's going to justify favouritism this afternoon. At Mays, we understand how important our outdoor spaces are. That's why we've developed luxury outdoor furniture collections to suit all homes. Browse our range at maysliving.co.uk. And it's been an absolute delight this week with our friends at Mays Outdoor Living to look back through the history books and, and really profile some of those Guineas winners that have left the most indelible impression through the last few decades. We spoke to Guy Harwood on Monday about Dancing Brave, Willie Carson yesterday about Nash One. It's a story of a different type. Speciosa might not have been the very best of Guinea's winners, but she was certainly one of the most memorable. Trained locally by Pam Sly, better known for her handling of, of jump horses down the years, but a very handy trainer of a flat horse as well. Bought fairly cheaply for her and for her son and, and Dr. Tom Davis. And they've kept her. They've kept going with her. They've kept breeding from her. They turned down all sorts of offers and they... David versus Goliath, like, took down all the big battalions in in impressive fashion on soft ground in 2006. Uh, Pam joins me now. Pam, where did the where did the story begin with Speciosa? Well, I, I went to the Breeze Ups to, to buy one. Um, I was going to buy a colt because um, my son Michael, he wanted a flat horse, and Dr. Tom said, oh, I wouldn't mind a bit in one. So I said to them, how much are you going to give me? So they give me 10 grand each. So I said, okay. Anyway, um friend of mine, Roger Marley, who, well, you know, he's a big breeze-up man anyway. Um, we went round, well, I couldn't afford the Colts, they were too expensive. And um, I said, let's look at this thing of Willie Brown. So we had a look at that and said, I don't dislike that. She was just a bit sparky. But anyway, that's how that came about. And you ended up having to give, what, 30 grand for her, was it? Something like that? Yeah, 30, yes. And when you, you got her home and you, you started to, to work her and... Uh, there was there a point where you thought, "Hang on a minute, I'm not quite sure I've had one just like this before." Well, no, it didn't. It didn't really sort of dawn on us. I mean, she ran well the first time. I think she was fourth at Ripon or somewhere, and then oh, she hung hung badly across the course on the next run. I think it was. Then Mickey Fenton started riding her, and it wasn't until we won. At, she won at Beverly. Mickey said, "I think you ought to have a go. We'll go to Doncaster with this anyway." We went in, was it the May Hill or something like that? Yeah. And um, the ground was just too firm for her. But uh, she was always, I know, they said, oh, well, why didn't she do it earlier? But she just kept growing all the time, growing, filling. Anyway, it paid off just to be patient. And there we are. We ended up with the Rockfell and the Nell Gwyn as well, didn't we? You did. Rockfell, Nell Gwyn. You knew she could handle Newmarket well. You went to the Guineas. A 10 to 1 shot. She might have been a bigger price. There'd been a deluge overnight, hadn't there? Yeah, it was a very drizzly day as well. The best of days, but it, it suited her, obviously. I, th- I think she would have been a lot shorter price if my name had been Henry Cecil or Michael Stout or somebody like that. Probably because it was me that it was such a big price. But that was part of the beauty of it. And it's not as though you were a greenhorn. You'd been trading winners under both coats for, for years by by that point. It Did you... Did you believe that you, you could do it, or did you think this sort of stuff just doesn't happen to people like me? Well, we, we thought we could be in the first four, but Nikki Fenton kept saying, she's the one to beat, she's the one to beat. Well, she'd already done it twice at Newmarket, hadn't she? So she was going to do it again. 
that's how I look at it. And of course, she was then worth an absolute fortune. And I think one of the most endearing parts of this story is that nobody was willing to, to part with her, either through her racing career or, or her subsequent um, breeding career. Was that something that you, you all agreed on fairly early on? Oh, yes. Yeah, they all just wanted to, as I say, live the dream, which we did. I know she, she didn't win much afterwards, but the ground was always against her. She ran really well in Ireland against Peeping Fawn. She gave that 12 pounds and got beaten a couple of lengths. That was a group one. Um, no, we, we had lots of fun with her, but we always thought it wasn't her that was going to breed the winners. It would be the second generation. That's how it seems to go, doesn't it? And and that has happened, and and you've got you know two or three pretty talented ones from the from the family at the moment. It didn't escape my notice, Pam, that there are two fillies in the one thousand guineas this year, um, Andre Farb's filly and James Ferguson's mise en scène, who are both out of half sisters to Speciosa. That pride, specificity, Speciosa family, it just keeps throwing them up. Yes, it's very much a female line, and the, the ones that Speciosa bred, uh, she got to see the stars of Teofilia. The Oasis Dream got high 70s, but the others were mid-80s, and the fillies were always better than, than the Colts. And that seems to have been the, been the case again. Uh, and how many members of the family are you still breeding from and are, and are still going? Um, there's the Oasis Dream fully, the Sea the Stars, and uh, the Teofilia. Uh, we have a cracksman filly out of her to run, which is very nice. So that's her last foal, because she's uh, she's nineteen now. But we packed up last year with her. But she's but she's still with us. Oh yes, oh still bucking, kicking, performing like an idiot. But no, she looks really well. Well, fingers crossed that cracksman filly can take you back to back to Newmarket and and maybe maybe win a one thousand guineas in a couple of years' time. Well, we're very happy with it at the moment. We've called it winter crack, only because I like the drink of winter crack. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'll be drinking plenty of it if she can give you some spring crack in a couple of years' time. Pam, thanks so much for talking to me. That's okay. Thank you. Create your outdoor living moments with Maze. Shop online at mazeliving.co.uk. The wonderful uh, Pam Sly there is part of our series with Maze Outdoor Living. And uh, Pam just defying all odds really uh, as a, a smaller trainer winning a classic uh, owning it with her family keeping the mare not selling continuing to breed to this day still loving it still enthusiastic and the family itself represented doubly as i was saying in the guineas this year by mise-en-scene and zelly who are effectively cousins both out of half sisters to speciosa uh, and zelly jane the subject of an interesting jockey booking as announced yesterday Yes, Tom Markham taking over from uh, Olivia Pellier, who's on board for the Pre Imprudence. Of course, Oshin Murphy was on last year when she won the Pre Marcel Boussac. Um, but a big leg up for Tom Markham. And I can imagine he must have been absolutely delighted to get that call because when Andre Fab comes to Newmarket, they come with a major chance and she has that form as well. But just referencing Speciosa and the Pam Sly story, yes, like the. The impact she's not only had in winning the race, but now the, the impact the family could have this year is quite noteworthy. And I suppose the main thing is that they have kept it in their own family, in the Sly family. They have cultivated the pedigree. The fillies in this pedigree have been fantastic, right down to Pride, who is a super French mare uh, down the bottom of the page. But it's a consistently high producing family, high quality fillies come out of this. And uh, this weekend is going to be very interesting for the Sly family from a, a different angle. 
Yeah, you could say that she's the Sly Family Stone. Yeah? You're on fire. Never off, never off key. Right, as I said on the podcast last week, uh, the Nick Luck Daily podcast is teaming up with My Racehorse, the world's most prominent microshare syndicate, which has just launched in the UK and Ireland to promote the joys of shared ownership. My Racehorse started out in the US in 2019, immediately had success with the Derby and Breeders' Cup Classic winner Authentic in 2020. And you get the chance to join a community of over 30,000 owners worldwide and experience true ownership of beautifully bred and elite racehorses at a, a real fraction of the cost. You get regular updates, yard visits, exclusive events, all part of being a My Racehorse owner. And genuinely, you are an owner as well. You can look at the T's and C's on the website, myracehorse.com. And the first of the European horses, uh, caught by Dubawi out of Jay Wonder, appropriately called Syndicated, is possibly going to run this weekend at Newmarket. Has the entry, certainly not too far off a run. Syndicated was raised and grazed before heading to Kingsclear, just over the way in beautiful North Hampshire at Watership Down Stud, the home of Lord and Lady Lloyd Webber. I have been to Watership Down Stud uh, to catch up with some of their mares and foals in the thick of foaling season to try and bring you a little bit more behind-the-scenes access to the absolute heart of British thoroughbred breeding. And given that she is very much the star of the show at Watership Down as the dam of of too darn hot and so me dar and, and la ti dar and given that she's had a winner this week as well Darlectable you who herself is in full to frankel it only seems right to kick off with dare me who is 17 years old doesn't miss a beat but is is hanging on um waiting to to fall this time round you'll hear from uh, general manager simon marsh in a moment and connor chapman as well but first of all a man who's been uh, involved right from the start of Watership Down. Uh, Terry Doherty uh, talks to me about this uh, fantastic mare. Well, here at Watership Down again on this beautiful spring afternoon, and here's one of the great golden geese, not just of this place, but of, of anywhere. This is Dar Me, Dam of Too Darn Hot, Somi Dar, who is also here, and Lati Dar. It's, um, it's a tricky time for. Um, she's not that old, but relatively speaking, tricky time for the old girl Terry because she's she's a little overdue and she's beginning to look at a tad uncomfy. It is uncomfortable. I wouldn't want to be carrying that excess weight in my tummy. I know I'm a little bit large, <laughs> but I wouldn't. Don't want do to yourself be that. down. Come on, it's not that bad. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be that heavy. Uh, it's very tedious. Uh, if, if any any expectant parent would would know that uh, the last few weeks of the trimester are very hard. They've, this mare hasn't laid down for two weeks because getting up and getting down is so difficult for her. So she's tired. Horses can sleep on their feet, but they're very tired. So she's getting the stage now. She, she wants it out. She's had enough. She's come on out. It's a little colt. Um, one would expect a colt to go cook a little bit longer than a filly quite often. She's now seven days over today. There's not many more days left, maybe tonight or tomorrow. And do you, you obviously know it's a cult, do you sex all your, all your, all your mares? Yes, we can, we can do a sex test at 60 days of pregnancy and that'll tell us whether we've got a cult or a filly. Um, the scanning technology is phenomenal these days. Um, obviously, once you know what you've got, Simon, you can't change the res- result, but um, I suppose what it does do, I guess it helps you with the planning. Yeah, it's very, very useful. And um, obviously, you know, actually we make, 
our mares ostensibly to breed fillies um, because we want to keep the fillies to race them and then um, ultimately they would then come back here to become brood mares. So it's, you know, if you've got a mating, a specific mating that you want to produce a filly and you know you've got one, then um, then obviously you might go in a different direction the following year. I mean, she's a, a mare, you were saying, when we when we spoke about her um before terry who's got a terrific temperament for the job has she been pretty metronomic through her career for you totally totally i mean from being born as a foal she's been a darling and the whole thing from racing to coming back to the stud to being a the first foal to the stage now where she's a matriarch it's everything sort of she's perfect uh, sometimes <laughs> no, but mostly she's she's the perfect scenario of a mare. This is exactly what you would want to dream about. And we're getting... I mean, it's not late in the season, but we're pushing into May. She might not fall for another week or so. Will there be time left to go in again? There is. We're 11 months gestation. Mm. Right? So we're looking back. If we cover in May, she'll be back in April. But this mare has never missed. She's had a fall every year since returning to stud. And we're pretty spot on on time she, she will fall in the next few days we'll short cycle at about 20 21 days beyond that that'll fetch us to mid-may and hopefully we'll be back where we started again and that she's she's been like clockwork if she wants a rest she will have a rest it's up to her but she will just go through the motions and she's never let us down yet Oh, come on, girlie. I hope, I, hope it, I hope he comes out soon for you. She's in the field alongside uh, Cliveden stud own mare called Horseplay, who you'll remember. She was pretty talented race mare herself. Uh, Connor, who's she uh, carrying to at the moment? She's in fault two down hot. So that's... Uh, Connor's pretty excited. She has a fantastic Dubawi Colt going around the farm right now, a yearling. And he's looking pretty impressive, so... Again, I think what we're seeing in Two Darn Hot is he's he's adding in a little bit more quality there. They're looking a little bit racy, so mm. if the Dubawi can look like that, we're pretty excited about what Two Darn Hot can come out like. Yeah, if um if you've got two out in the paddock like this, two mares who are, who are due to foal, I mean, do they tend to keep themselves to themselves, or are they reasonably companionable? Uh, it's a combination of both. They horses are herd animals; they always want company. But these two girls. They go out, they put their heads down, they do their own thing. But they'll certainly know if, if they were on their own. They don't want to be on their own. So, um, yeah, they're, uh, they're amenable to each other, I would say. Love it. What a lovely day I had at Watership Downstud earlier in the week. And more instalments of that to follow through the next few days. We'll be looking at farriery, vet, the veterinary aspect of, of getting mares in foal. And uh, we'll be meeting some more of the young stock and some of uh, the golden geese at Watership Down, but no goose more golden, as I said there, the, than Dar Amy. And it was great to see Darlectable U in foal to Frankel winning earlier this week as well. Uh, Jane, talking of golden geese, a notable performance in a stakes race in Ireland last weekend. Yeah, golden geese, blue hen, whatever term you want to use, they don't get much more colourful than polished gem. And I was in Navin on Saturday for the vintage crop win. Polish Gem provided Kiprios to win the race and her dual classic winning daughter searched for a song. Two years the senior of Kiprios. They were the one-two home in the vintage crop, which I thought was a, a fair feat in itself. Number one, that they kept 
that Moigler stood kept search for a song and training as a six-year-old. I think that should be applauded. We often reference the fact that some flat horses don't stay in training long enough to capture the imagination of a wider audience. Well, they have kept her in training and don't they have an exciting horse with Kiprios who could, could he turn out to be an Ascot Gold Cup horse? Yates won the Vintage Cup twice, Fame and Glory won it twice, Leading Light won it as well, all before going on to win uh, the Ascot Gold Cup. But Polish Gem herself, the Dam of Free Eagle, Custom Cut, Sapphire, Falcon 8, uh, Search for a Song, Kiprios, Amma Grace, uh, and even Rich History who stands at stood here in Ireland. She's a, a real assistant producer going back through Trusted Picture, uh, Trusted Partner even, who won a Guineas and Talking Picture, who I believe was bought by Walter Hefner from uh, America way back in the 70s. But yeah, that's uh, Chocolate Factory stuff. We'll have plenty of that talk over the course of the weekend because when you have classics, you usually have classic pedigrees. Well, as soon as the Guineas Festival is done with this weekend, we will be looking ahead to the great sort of Derby trial meetings and the great May festivals, uh, York in a couple of weeks' time, and before then, Chester's May meeting uh, around the idiosyncratic and utterly charming Rudy. We're associated uh, with, with huge crowds, a great festivity. It's a wonderful place to be in May. Chester also has a new chief executive, Louise Stewart, who has come to Chester via Ali Pali for over six years and prior to that as deputy chief executive of Visit England. So has a finger pretty firmly on the pulse of what the leisure customer wants. Louise joins me now. Louise, how are you settling into into Chester Racecourse and back into the north of England? Um, it's It's been a very smooth settling in period, if I'm being honest. Um, Entering a, a slightly different part of, of a sector is, is always a, a bit unnerving, but the sector has been so welcoming um, to me as a, an outsider and people willing to share their information and expertise and, and really wanting that fresh perspective. But the, the board and the team here have been absolutely amazing. Um, it's been really busy. Um, I've been here eight weeks and I don't think my feet have really touched the ground. Um, I've, I've been out to our other two race courses, Bangor and Musselburgh, to experience race days there, meeting partners, our key trainers, um, industry bodies, um, walking the track to understand just how quirky Chester is and some of the judgment calls a clerk might have to make on a day to really understand um, what a race day is like from the different perspectives. So yeah, it's been really busy. I've I've been out to Ireland myself um, to see some of the best stud stallions in the, in the world and some of the best horses in training um, to understand where it all begins. And that's been really helpful and gives me a real perspective on, on that owner and trainer um, world really, down to some of our local trainers such as Manor House, understanding their plans and the importance of Chester to them. So yeah, my my brain has had to be like a sponge, just absorbing lots and lots of information. It's been massively fun. Yeah, I bet it has. And just an extraordinary learning curve in such a short period of time. Uh, When the the job came to your notice, what was it about it that you thought, hmm, yeah, I I quite fancy having a crack at that? I find it very difficult to 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 pinpoint what it was. Um, I'm the kind of person I, I didn't have a career plan as such. I just saw interesting jobs and and was cheeky enough to think I could do them. And 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 I've 
been have done some wonderful jobs and Chester was in that ilk. I don't think I was really ready to leave Alexandra Palace. Um, but I think after the pandemic and we'd got through that and the team are so brilliant, um, it, it probably was a bit of a jolt, you know, when I was approached by Chester that actually, yeah, chief executives do need to move on and maybe I should think about it. And you know, I was a very horsey teenager, which I'd almost forgotten about. Um, so somebody coming saying horses was um, already of interest. Combined with the heritage, each of our race courses, as so many do, are just steeped in heritage and tradition. And I love that in a role. I really like to feel that you're, you have a, a bigger purpose, that you're the custodian of something, that you're looking after something for future generations. and. And I really like that in a role and it really speaks to me. Um, but there were things about Chester, the multi-site um, operation. There was enough transferable skill from, from my existing role to here, but also enough newness. And I do like, um, I do like learning new things. And I love working with people who are really expert at what they do. And racing is full of people who are really expert. I've learned that already. And so passionate about what they do. And I love that. And I feed off that. Um, so, yeah, that really came through. But I did have a question mark about horse racing. And um, I used to follow it quite a lot in my late teens but I think I turned off it a little bit because of horse welfare issues and some of the bad press that makes it into more mainstream media. And so I really had to do quite a lot of research to make myself comfortable. But what I found was that so much has been done since I last really looked at horse racing in any depth that I just wasn't aware of. Um, and, you know, the horse and, and jockey welfare is at the forefront of most conversations that I've had um, since starting. So I felt I was able to feel very, very comfortable very quickly about any of those concerns. Um, and then I suppose there's something about working in the event sector and that, that build up to a major event is stressful, it's busy, but there's, there's nothing really like it, creating that atmosphere for visitors to, and, and, and clients and suppliers to really get behind and enjoy. There's, there's a buzz involved in it that is just, it's very hard to replicate, I think, in, in other sectors that open every day. Um, it, they're, they're different challenges. 15 days a year at Chester, I think 14 at Bangor, 28 at Musselburgh. That's a lot of buzz. Well, that was uh, Louise Stewart there, the new chief executive of Chester Racecourse. Now, it's been a little while since we've heard from our friends at Fitzdares, but chief executive Will Woodhams has uh, plenty to talk about at the moment. Not least, Will, and this may not be the most significant part of your portfolio, but I, it raised my eyebrows. You're now the sponsors of the historic Thirsk Hunt Cup. Um, pause is always necessary when reading out that race title. What, Apart from the snigger potential, what... Um, what attracted you to the Thirsk Hunt Cup? I think your diction uh, deserves uh, Sports Broadcaster of the Year for the 57th time. Uh, it's excellent. Um, uh, it's part of a partnership um, with, uh, we're working with RMG on selecting some of their 
courses they work with that we'd like to work with. My uh, my wife's family are from North Yorkshire, and how could we not on Guineas weekend <laughs> sponsor somewhere else? Um, but we're really excited to be doing it. I'll be there, and um, James and Erin and the team at First are phenomenal. And it's an amazing race and an amazing day's racing. We're sponsoring the whole card. Okay, and you you come up with as usual some creative race titles. I know, and actually, I think this is catching on because I know um, I know Arena Race Company have banned those sort of awful better are casinos race names. But yes, we've we've done a sort of very culturally cultural appropriation of North Yorkshire, and probably quite inappropriate. But I don't think anyone in North Yorkshire minds because they all have a sense of humour. But we're honouring uh, Mickey Easterby's ninety-one years on this planet, um, and we're just sort of pushing God's country, North Yorkshire names. So lots of Chaffinettes and Almuch in all the race titles. But we're really excited to be um, sponsoring and it's going to be a hell of a day. Yeah, good to see your wholesale uh, rejection of um, shameful regional stereotyping. Uh, away from <laughs> away from Thirsk and, and North Yorkshire, uh, on a, a slightly more serious point, you pledged to spend a million pounds on, on British racing and that's a million pounds um, without your your mandatory uh, horse race betting levy, uh, sort of, levy, to, yeah. yeah. So and, and so you've done that, and I mean nine hundred ninety thousand of that have, has gone on the the decoration in in um, in Ben Pauling's new Fitzdares Club in the in the Cotswolds. Where's the other where Where's the other ten thousand gone? <laughs> It's gone on a Pilates machine at Ben Pauley's yard. No, I actually, just on that note, I visited and Ben has now moved into his new yard. We obviously have the Fitzdares Club, which is two minutes from it. And I think it's the, in a sense, it's the future of racing, an amazing setup at Ben's yard to entertain owners. It's kind of owner focused. And I'm not saying that's what he does, entertain owners. He, he bangs in Cheltenham winners. But I think that's a great reflection of what we're trying to do across racing, make it a, um, a better place for owners to enjoy both the yard experience and the racing experience which is what we've been doing you know with uh we built our club at cheltenham uh, we've just done a three-year deal with windsor to build our club there and sponsor the sprint series so we've we've spent over a million pounds now since i committed on your show and we're very happy doing it um i think by the end of this year we'll have a welsh trainer a scottish trainer um, we've just sponsored charlie fellows so he joins george scott on our sort of english or new market um flat trainers and then as you mentioned is our jump trainer so we're, we're looking to have a sort of a well spread across the uk sponsorship package with with trainers but also support um perhaps the race courses that get a little less love and that overlooked particularly on the Guineas weekend, I think first deserves it. And it, what a brilliant day's racing it'll be. Uh, Will Woodham's there from Fitzdares. Thanks to him. Thanks to Louise Stewart from Chester. Nick Smith from Ascot earlier in the programme. And of course, for the reminiscences of uh, Pam Sly and all the team at Watership Down. Jane Mangan is still with me. And Jane, you have a selection for us this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Yes, I am steering back to Punchestown. I am not going to go the obvious in the Gold Cup. I am not going to go madman's game against Fasal Vega in the bumper, which will be of obvious interest for the Luck family. I'm going to go with Freedom to Dream in the 415 for Peter Fahey, who won it last year with surprise package, the subsequent Imperial Cup winner. Uh, I think Freedom to Dream, for the very same connections, can land the 415 at Punchestown. 
All right, Jane, thanks so much. That was Wednesday, April the 27th. Punch is down today. I will be uh, back on home soil tomorrow, but in the air back to Newmarket, and Tom will be in the hot seat. There will be more from Watership Down, and Lydia will be alongside tomorrow as well. So plenty to enjoy, but from all of us here, with a reminder, please, on whatever podcast platform you use, to give us a review and tell us what you'd like to hear more of, and do give us a a rating as well. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.